Hello, this is Vlad, and you are listening to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. Today, my guest is Crypto Brecky or Brecky Van Bitcoin, who is a very good friend of mine on crypto Twitter. He's one of these characters that you see, and he catches your attention with the fact that he's developing a very blockchain oriented version of Rick and Morty. which sometimes is about Bitcoin, other times it's about Verge being used to buy porn. And you have actually adapted that episode with the dreams where they, <laughs> they get to the erotic side. And I, I'm a big fan of this. A lot of people don't know how erotic Bitcoin is. <laughs> yeah, that was about and Verge. But even though... It, I guess Verge is associated with the idea of buying porn right now, or used to be. They had that yeah. deal last year, but it doesn't matter. Nobody uses it anymore. But Satoshi actually suggested in a Bitcoin talk thread that you can actually use Bitcoin for porn sites. Yeah, I saw that. I think it's definitely a good use case. Also, like, it's not really anonymous. So, you know, what's the difference? There is a difference. You don't want your spas to know what you're buying, right? Right, that's true. I guess it's, it's, it's difficult to... It, it isn't fully anonymous, you know, it's pseudonymous. So there's, there's, there is some protections there. And you can always like mix your Bitcoins on, you know, so. So I know that on Twitter, you're like this guy who posts funny videos and memes and tries to bring some... other twists to this whole mess, which is the narrative of crypto and especially Bitcoin. But I know that you have a degree in international relations and maybe <laughs> that we can put that to good use today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. People, people think I'm just a funny guy, but I'm smart too. I'm also smart. Maybe not that smart, but a little smart. Honestly, I so. think you need to be smart to be funny. And if you look at the most famous comedians... Yeah, the most successful true. ones, they actually have it figured out and they understand what kind of humor they do and they have undergone this type of study to realize what kind of audience they are speaking to and also what kind of jokes they should be saying. And honestly, I think that the best jokes are the smart ones for which you have to either know something or you have to think about it. They are like references. I like puns much more than situation comedy. But that's a personal taste. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I love puns. I could do puns all day. I can try at least. Um, but yeah, so, so let's talk Bitcoin. I love talking Bitcoin. And um, I guess we'll do some international relations. Uh, but where do you want to start? So how do these connect in your opinion? You have a degree in IR, so you should know better. <laughs> sure. Um, it's kind of an interesting question because on the one hand, you know, I feel like Bitcoin is this type of amazing thing that, you know, doesn't need governments and, and, and supersedes governments, you know, it's, it's bigger than government. And like the idea is to, is that, you know, you, you don't need the government approval to have money, but we're also in this kind of weird phase now where the government, at least in the United States is approving of Bitcoin um, and in a lot of other, other places also. Um, so I think for, for us to, to gain adoption of Bitcoin um, in the, the smoothest um, and fastest way possible. Um, international cooperation and government approval is important. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't don't know. How do you feel about it? It's kind of like we don't need it, but having it is a good thing, if that makes sense. Well, obviously, because if you had hostile governments which decided that it's illegal to run mining operations, and I know that you have one in your house, or they said that it's illegal to run your own node for Bitcoin. I'm not not mining. If I was mining, I would have to pay taxes on what all the coins I'm mining. So I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Exactly. You're just, what's the name for it? You're simulating mining. Yeah, I'm I'm running a very, very uh, energy intensive virtual reality operation here. Um, But actually, I wanted to say, though, so like, as you were talking about that and like talking about my point there, um, you know, I've heard a lot of other people say that like one of the best things for Bitcoin, for instance, could be if a government banned it outright. Like if, let's say the United States said, no, no Bitcoin, it's illegal. Like, I don't think that's going to stop it. And in some ways it might even strengthen it. Um, but I don't know. Like, I don't think that's the best way to do it, but I think it's an interesting thing to consider that it might actually, you know, like, as soon as, like, if China bans something, like, it becomes important. Or, like, if the USA bans it, then it becomes important in China. So, I don't know about that. So, you're saying that it's a matter of international relations, and whichever state becomes more open to this new type of currency is bound to have a new advantage in the extension of the capitalist society that we're going to have with Bitcoin as a core element of our economy? Vlad, I didn't say that, but you totally read my mind. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. I definitely think that, you know, I think we're actually close to it. I think within the next year, maybe two years, we might actually see a government say, you know, know, outright say that Bitcoin is incredibly important and that we're going to... Uh, buy a lot of Bitcoin and promote uses, usage of it. Um, so I, I, I'm really excited to see where that is, you know, like who knows, it could be Malta, Russia, China, who knows, um, probably not China. But um, definitely when that happens, it's going to be a Bitcoin arms race, I think. You know, like let's say one com- country says, all right, we're adopting Bitcoin in an, an official capacity, like it's going to be a domino effect because you don't want to be the last country standing. You know, you don't want to be the country that's buying Bitcoin at $200,000. You want to be the country that's buying Bitcoin at $3,500. So it's going to be that when we reach that point, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the countries are reacting. Um, And I'm sure some of them are already making plans. Like, you know, the countries that are big on mining, for instance, like, you know, if they're, I'd be surprised if Russia is not, actually buying Bitcoin very quietly in the background and China, maybe even China too, even as a, as a hedge, you know, as a, just to hedge their bets. But um, we'll see. Yeah. I was just thinking right now that the countries which are most dominant right now are the ones which started the industrial revolution and the ones that got rich from all the inventions that they delivered to the rest of the world. And that's how they basically conquered the culture of the world by having the innovations. They also delivered the culture and the language. And that's why we speak English right now. And that's why we use the same protocols and computers. And with Bitcoins, Mm -hmm. it's going to be about setting the standard and being the first ones to create the proper legislative framework 
But, but I thought I thought Ripple was the standard. XRP the standard. No? Uh, yeah, sure. Of course. <laughs> it's That's, it doesn't even have a blockchain and it has a single <laughs> point of failure. It's almost impossible to run a node if you're a regular user. That's not really decentralized. It's just a speculative investment, which I can understand from a point of view. It's unclear what kind of use case XRP actually has in the whole Ripple ecosystem, even though people who are very familiar to this narrative will tell you all sorts of arguments that you had, you had companies like Western Union and MoneyGram experimenting the development of XRP-based models, but they haven't done anything. They just done, they ran some experiments to see if it saves them money. So far, we have nothing. Yeah, a lot of talk, a lot of talk. Let's get back to Bitcoin. I don't like talking about Ripple. It makes me... Uh, Obviously, but you, you are the one who brought it. <laughs> yeah, I make, I make jokes and then I, I regret them. Yeah, I regret that too. Uh, right now, I feel <laughs> like we're going to get attacked by... XRP Trump and Tiffany Hayden. Eh, let, let, let them attack us. What are they going to say? I've done that before. So actually, Tiffany Hayden, like she doesn't, I kind of like retweeted something and made a funny joke. And she, she did respond re- like respectfully and not like in an attacking way. So I'll give her that. But otherwise, like, I just, I don't understand it. And like, she, I think her profile says like, you know, not an employee of Ripper, but like, are you telling me she hasn't been like, got an XRP from them, like, that's bullshit. I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter anyway. This is about Bitcoin. And yeah. I guess the reason why I choose to speak about Bitcoin isn't just the idea that it's the first cryptocurrency to be invented and it's the first practical solution for the Byzantine general's problem and all that stuff. It's just the idea that when you think about projects that will still be around in five, ten years, then... I don't think maybe that Ethereum will be around in some implementation, Mm -hmm. but Bitcoin will definitely be here. And if you check out to see the developments that they're going to make from improvements to the Lightning Protocol to Schnorr and even Taproot, Mm -hmm. it's all very fascinating and it makes you realize that actually Bitcoin is miles ahead and has all the smartest people working for it. Exactly, man. People think about like Bitcoin being slow and the developers like taking their time to to implement new ideas. And, you know, people see that as a, as a problem. And, and I'm tr- I always try to be like, no, that is not a problem. That is why Bitcoin is so strong. Um, you know, it, Bitcoin is so important that you don't want to mess anything up. Um, you know, and I forget who it was. Maybe it was Pierre Rochard or Saifedean or somebody. And they're basically saying that like, Bitcoin is not a one-year project. It's not even a 10-year project. Like, if all goes well, like, Bitcoin is our 100-year project. And we'll be lucky in our lifetimes to see Bitcoin in its, you know, almost ultimate form when, it, when, it, when they stop, when they slow down development. Um, so it's, it's going to be an ongoing battle to get people to understand this, but definitely worth it. It was Satoshi who said in a post on Bitcoin Talk that when developing Bitcoin, even aliens have to be taken into consideration. Really? I I haven't seen this part. Yeah, you have this bot, which is called Satoshi Nakamoto Bot, and it tweets all the quotes by Satoshi. And that one, I think I saw it a couple of times. 
I really liked that idea. Hmm, how would like an intergalactic blockchain work? <laughs> yeah, and since day one, there was this discussion that if the consensus algorithm, which is also used for mining and stuff, SHA-256, if this mm-hmm. ever fails, there should always be an alternative to switch to and do it in a seamless way. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually talking to someone, um, I think it was yesterday, two days ago, um, and we were talking about um, like quantum computers. And um, my friend has a friend who works for one of the big quantum computing labs or something. And he's basically saying that like, yeah, we'll have quantum computers like for real, like actually like usable um, on a large scale in like probably 10 years or so. Um, and, you know, he asked me, like, well, how does that affect Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And like, the, the thing is, like, we'll also have like quantum private keys. Like, like Bitcoin will evolve to, 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 to fit into this new world that we're having. So like, yes, like quantum computing might make like, you know, every SHA algorithm obsolete, but like, you know, the, the cryptography will also become quantum, which I found to be really, really interesting. Um, have you, have you talked to anyone about quantum computers? Like you see on Twitter, like all the, like the FUD, like, Oh, Bitcoin's going to die. But like, uh, when you get down to it, it's really interesting. Um, that's not really a topic I talk about with people. Not even Bitcoin. So when I do this podcast, it's in many ways relieving that I I get to talk about stuff I read about. Because Mm -hmm. in my day-to-day interactions, I have nobody to talk about something as basic as good old Bitcoin. Nobody (laughs) really asks me. They're like, you're that weird guy who is interested in that virtual currency that we don't believe in. So don't talk about that. (laughs) We don't want to know. You have probably lost all of your money in it, which may or may not be true. But I, I'm, I'm also interested in how it's going to shape international relations. And this is a great way to get to the initial topic. Mm-hmm. You think about you... the big powers in the world right now. And I mm-hmm. guess today Richard Nixon was a big discussion and he is responsible for welcoming China into the big stage and mm-hmm. turning China into another big actor to have a balance in relation to the USSR and make sure that the United States would win the Cold War. And that proved to be a good strategy in the end. But right now it's going to be about which big state becomes the first one to hoard the most Bitcoins and turn Bitcoin into a national currency or at least an alternative that you can use. I, yeah, I think that that definitely is going to be something very interesting to watch. Um, hmm. I don't know. Like it, my hope and dream is that Bitcoin is like the uniting force in the world. You know, like I, I think Bitcoin has the ability to break down boundaries, but I don't know. Some of the boundaries are too strong. Um, you know, the way China deals with, with its citizens um, doesn't mean they won't adopt Bitcoin, but, it, you know, it may not unite the world in the way we think it will. I hope so. But Without privacy, if you have Bitcoin in its raw form, in which mm-hmm. you can see every transaction on the blockchain, and you're not using any kind of Wasabi wallets to merge your coins and... Yeah create this kind of obfuscation through which you're not sure which coin went where. 
we can actually have the type of Orwellian society where the exactly. government knows everything that you buy and they can trace every penny that you're spending or every Satoshi. Exactly. Have you heard of, um, this is a TV show called Hard, Hard Fork um, that um, Naomi Brockwell is producing. Um, and it's actually going to be taking place in a world just like this. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. I think it'll be kind of a cool um, cautionary tale uh, about how blockchain can be used for, for bad as well as good. Um, so I, I do hope that some of these like privacy concerns, I wouldn't say get solved, but I, I, I hope that they don't get outlawed. You know, like for instance, like I used to think that like KYC was not a bad thing. You know, I thought KYC is for certain applications is good because you know, you make sure that, you know, terrorists are not using Coinbase or whatever bullshit. But, um, you know, if you look at like how these, what these sites are like central points of failure for, you know, for holding all of our data, like the recent hacks, it's, it's a more, uh, as I go down the crypto rabbit hole, I've actually, I've become more and more libertarian and I've become more and more, of a privacy advocate. Um, and I think we need to, it's going to be interesting on the, the, like the international world stage, because I think privacy is going to be something that the big governments push back against. And I think collectively they might, they might work together to do that. But, um, I think we have to stay strong and kind of defend our privacy. I think that in order to understand what kind of world we will be having when Bitcoin becomes mainstream, we have to look at the writings of cypherpunks from the 80s and the 90s and how they viewed the world and how they taught that privacy is much more important than even compliance to laws. And even if you have a few criminals in your group and you are basically defending them through cryptography and mechanisms which are so complex that the government cannot decrypt them, it's a better idea to just protect the pro protocol which enables privacy than to allow some kind of breach in security which will bring an Orwellian scenario. Privacy exactly. is bigger and more important than a few individual ex exceptions who work in bad faith and give a bad name to the whole industry or the mm -hmm. whole community. And it's kind of like... Like, yes, like catching the terrorists is very important. You know, don't get me wrong. But compromising everyone else's privacy is not the way to go about it. You know, like, are you telling me that, like, let's use the United States, that, like, the NSA, the United States government doesn't have uh, the money or tools to, to go after terrorists in a, in a way that doesn't involve compromising everyone else's privacy? I think that's not true. You know, I think they can try harder and they can find a different way to do it. Um, you know, like good old fashioned, you know, investigating is what can, brings down criminals, not, uh, you know, spying, spying on their own citizens. Um, and like in the United States, for instance, like, you know, I, I say I'm becoming more of a libertarian and like, I, I, I grew up on like Star Trek and I would love to see like one big happy world family, but like, that's many, many, many years off if it ever happened. But the United States is where, where I grew up, and I, I do believe in some of the, the values of the United States, even if the United States isn't following those values. You know, like, um, forget all the wars and all the bullshit the United States does, but, like, what the, the United States Constitution and the Declaration of Independence espouse, you know, like, 
the ideas of individual freedom and, and, and free speech and, and, and those kinds of protections, like you can't have free speech without privacy. It's just not possible. You know, like you, you, you can't have fear of your own government for speaking out. Um, so we have to protect it. That's one of the reasons why we have crypto Twitter or crypto Gab instead of yeah. crypto Facebook as Facebook actually makes you send a picture of your national ID. It's this advanced form of KYC, which doesn't allow you to have your account for longer than a few days without registering with your real information. But I think that's a big problem and that's a huge honeypot of data. If somebody hacks the databases of Facebook, they're going to have pictures of national IDs and you can do a lot of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. You saw the, you heard about the hack, the exchange hacks, was all the, the KYC information, right? We, we get that every couple of months at least. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, they were like selling like giant blocks of information for like ten dollars. It's like ugh, it's absurd. I don't, I didn't even look to see if I was hacked because I don't want to know if my information's out there. Like, I try to protect myself, but I'm kind of screwed on these exchanges. That's why I don't really trade anymore. Yeah, I'm not saying that I have Bitcoin, but if I had Bitcoin, I would store it in a hardware wallet or in. The kind of wallet which doesn't get connected to the internet too often yeah, and may or exactly. may not be samurai or wasabi. <laughs> it may or may not. <laughs> oh, there's no way to know unless you can prove it. And in this case, we're in the middle of a podcast, which is only audio and there is nothing that I can prove. Exactly. Question. Um, so not that you have any Bitcoin and not that you buy any Bitcoin, but uh, being in like Romania, where, where would someone buy Bitcoin? Like, do you, can you use like the cash app or like, do you use local Bitcoins or? You don't really have to do that. Honestly, you have ATMs in Bucharest mm-hmm. and you just go there. You buy it without any kind of KYC. If it's below $1,000. Oh, cool. Okay. But the idea is that you pay a premium, about 7% for it. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to get Bitcoins, you, you either use a service like Bitstamp. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest European exchanges and you have an incentive to use it because we have the European Union. And mm-hmm. you're thinking that if that gets hacked, you actually have the legal means to sue them and get your money back, even though it's not going to be Bitcoins anymore. I think I know, I know. You yeah, have a community of people who trade Bitcoins on a regular basis just for mm-hmm. fun. So you have these meetings, which I don't think they trade Bitcoins there, but they talk about Bitcoin when John Carvalho makes his weekly meet- meetings. He's American. He's from Boston, but he moved to Romania for whatever reason. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, I met him a couple of months ago, I think. He's actually, um, he was one of those guys who, there was one day when one of my Blockchain and Morty videos somehow got seen by, um, like, normal Twitter. Um, and they were all, like, trolling me and, like, what is this? Like, who, de- who destroyed Rick and Morty? What is this Bitcoin bullshit? And John, like, came to my rescue and, like, said some very nice things. So I, I'll always be grateful to, 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 uh, to, Mr., to Bitcoin Aerolog. So shout out to him. He's also on this podcast, so 
you're going to be a part of the same season, which also has... Oh, I'll, I'll be in very good company. Very good company. And he's a nicer guy than you'd expect if you watch that that whole Roger Veer debate and the Bcash, Bcash, Bcash moments, you would think that he's this nasty guy, very nihilistic and tries to push the limits and get yeah, you angry. The same with Roger Veer is he's a very, very good speaker, you know, and he, he doesn't always give people the time to answer a question. Like he'll, he'll talk over you. Um, and so, I, I don't really blame John or at all for anything like that. Like I, I would be very scared to debate Roger Ver, just not because I think I'm wrong, but because his, his speaking style is such that it makes debating him very difficult. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I've actually spoken to Richard Hart, who is also difficult. He likes to hear himself talk all the time, and he tries <laughs> to look very intelligent and knowledgeable of everything. And when you ask questions, he answers them. He has this whole process in which he thinks loudly just to take up your time and look like he's zoning you and you don't get the chance to actually debate him. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, he reveals himself as a big scammer and he's a bad actor in the place overall. I don't think... He's a net positive, even though he defended Bitcoin at some point. He's a net negative for the kind of show that he does and how he's constantly trying to push some kind of new project, which promises to become big and make everybody who is watching him a millionaire. He's like a very professional scam artist, and I have no idea why we got here. Let's just talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> Because uh, there's so many scam artists in Bitcoin. Um, people trying to put, push their agenda and try to, you know, say what Bitcoin is or what Bitcoin should be when, you know, we just need to kind of, you know, let the work speak for itself and, you know, see where things go. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's get back to, to, to the real Bitcoin stuff. I agree. The kind of stuff that you do is actually Bitcoin entertainment and... Mm -hmm. there aren't many people who bring their talents to Bitcoin. You actually do an adap adaptation of Rick and Morty, which is specifically for Bitcoin or some other altcoins of which you make fun, like Verge in that specific erotic scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but does this actually pay or do people appreciate it? As If you think about entertainment and bringing it, to Bitcoin, you have to rely heavily on donations and having a cult following which is willing to fund you to continue with your hobby. And does sure. this model actually work? Can you monetize with blockchain and Marty? So I, 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 you can't, I guess maybe you could, but I've chosen not to monetize uh, blockchain and Marty directly. Um, to me, that helps me kind of keep my objectivity and allows me to um, talk about whatever I want to talk about. And the purpose of it was, um, I mean, I made it for myself at first because I just, I love Rick and Morty and I love Bitcoin and or crypto and I wanted to kind of bring the two together, but it was more to, more to get people thinking and more to make people laugh. You know, we've been in this bear market for so long that it's, you know, people need their spirits lifted. Um, especially if, you know, 
if, if Bitcoin is going to be what we need it to be and what it's going to be, um, even though we don't know what that is, um, you know, I think not enough people are, are making content that is positive and not positive in a fake way, but positive in a way that reminds people why it's important and reminds people that, you know, the bear market, for instance, is temporary. Um, so that's kind of why I do it. Um, but in terms of monetization, you know, I don't want to monetize blockchain anymore. I've been offered um, many times to, you know, by ICOs, they would like want me to make a video, a Rick and Morty video to pump their ICO. And I was just like, I, I can't do that. Um, but I've tried to monetize in other ways. So like I do, you know, I accept donations. Um, and now I'm, uh, I'm basically building a, a, a crypto brand around artwork and apparel. Um, so you're right. It is tough to monetize in the space. If you're not, you know, if you don't have a lot of Bitcoin or you're not getting in on the ICOs early, um, cause the space is so new. Um, it's not a really developed ecosystem. And like, even like my friends who are not into crypto, they're like, why do you put so much time into making these, um, these blockchain and Morty videos? Um, it's like your audience is not that big. Um, and you know, I agree with that, but at the same time, people realize the effort that goes into them. And I think that's why people like them so much. You know, some of the videos have gotten like 70,000 views on Twitter, for instance. Um, you know, and that doesn't happen by accident. You know, I did put a lot of effort into them. And I think, you know, some of the, the cheap content out there is fine, but it's not, the space would really benefit from a lot more effort going into content. And if you look at some of the artists out there, like, um, I don't know if you know, like Vesa or Nanu Burks, like they, they do like physical artwork. Um, and I, I really love what they're doing. And you can tell that how passionate about, about what they, about crypto they are. And, you know, when, when other people see passion, they respond in a positive way. Um, so that's why I think it's important. Even if it isn't being monetized right now, I think, you know, I think the effort would pay off. So long answer <laughs> to a short question. That's a long answer. But if you think about the Bitcoin takeover, you're going to decentralize the show business. You're going to have small artists who once again get the chance to show themselves and promote themselves to the world. And you're going to have a new wave of talented people who come out of nowhere and they are going to be the Bitcoin entertainers that the Bitcoin community likes and chooses to fund on a regular basis. And to me, that's interesting. We, we have these discussions all the time that music is not the way it used to be and the passion is lost and it's all about the money. We have discussions about the film industry, which... I guess you are much more familiar with and mm -hmm. you have worked as a producer for some films and people say that in Hollywood, there is no passion anymore. And it's all about the Indies, which mm -hmm. bring that artistic sense. So with Bitcoin, you can actually find ways just like people talk. I guess it's a hot topic right now to invent a new Patreon, but with Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a whole bunch of, um, of alternatives now. Like I, I think I'm, I'm on Bitbacker, if you know that one. But I don't... It depends. You know, like, I think what's really cool is short-form content with passion. Because like, like, as you said, I was a, a film producer. And you know, I, I was working for like a year on this movie. And you know, 
it was a great film and blah, 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 but like not that many people saw it. And to me, when I had my first viral video, I, that's when I had like an, an aha moment when I was like, whoa, this is powerful. Because, you know, let's say a blockchain and Morty video takes me, I don't know, two, three days for a, for a short one, you know, and for two, three days I'm working nonstop and I'm, I'm very passionate about what I'm doing. And then within a few days, like many, many more people have seen this video than the movie that I took an entire year to work on. So I do think entertainment is changing um, in some ways. Um, hmm. I don't know. I haven't really thought that much about like how entertainment and, and crypto, like what the landscape is going to look like. You know, I, I think I, we talked about this earlier. I'm um, hopefully going to be hosting a crypto TV show uh, in the coming year. That's going to be sort of like a traditional TV show, like uh, like a Jimmy Kimmel late night show. Um, and I think there's space, there's room in the space for, for both kinds of content. Um, you know, like blockchain and Morty videos, let's say for the people who are already in the space and really understand crypto, but for people who are more traditional, who, you know, are, are scared by crypto, like they're going to continue to want Hollywood style stuff and they may not be around forever. But, um, you know, I think if we can combine both worlds, like take the sort of passion of like the artist and pair it with the, um, commercial ideas of Hollywood because Hollywood knows what they're doing and they're not bad at it. You know, they're actually quite good at it in some ways and that's not a bad thing. Um, but you do need to temper the, the commercial uh, leanings with the art. And I think the people who figure out how to merge the two, they're the ones who succeed the best, which is why like you're talking about indie films, like why does Netflix, why do the big studios hire like these tiny indie directors who've only made a $2 million movie to hire, to do their next Avengers. And the reason is because they want what these artists have. They want that passion. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see the, the crypto entertainment landscape develop alongside the actual um, crypto landscape. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you empower content creators to a different degree. It's like the early days of YouTube right now. Mm-hmm. You had all these people who are talented but had no way to show off and present their talents. They were not necessarily as skilled as filmmakers and professionals, mm -hmm. but they were able to create a new format which was appealing to the internet audiences with 10-minute videos, and then we had Vines. Mm -hmm. they're, they're tapping into you know, the collective consciousness and into what people actually want. And the sort of, how do I put it, the more direct interaction you have as a content creator um, with your audience is very powerful. You know, like, you know, I, I put a video out and somebody will be like, maybe it was you. It was like, Hey, I didn't really like this video. Or I didn't like what you did here. And part of me is like, Oh, fuck this guy. But also at the same time, it's like, no, like this is good. Like you get like feedback and you get this, this feedback loop that's very powerful because it forces people to improve. Um, so, and it's also sort of like the, you know, we, Bitcoin is open source money, you know, and open source entertainment is something that I think is going to be very big. And we're, you know, we're already doing that, but it's hmm, interesting. There was this whole obsession of decentralizing and putting it on the blockchain. But now that we settled and we decided that Bitcoin works and 
we can even do smart contracts on Bitcoin, which is interesting. And there, there was that new news piece <laughs> that was released recently about Taproots. And we know about Simplicity, which is a programming language for smart contracts developed by Blockstream. So there's a lot going on with Bitcoin, and I guess we can settle for this. And the sooner we realize that it's the currency of the future, and we try to run our own nodes and then discover Lightning and see how we can do microtransactions instantly, <coughs> the better we're going to be facing the future. At the end of the day, we're not very sure if there will be a US dollar coin of any type. Oh, let's hope not. Well, let's hope not. But we already have people in the Ethereum community saying that national governments can just build cryptocurrencies on top of their blockchain, which is insane. That's interesting a lot to a few people who run their nodes in Ethereum. Yeah. Well, what are you talking about? It's so easy to run your own Ethereum node. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> I think at some point in 2018, there was a research by Emin Gunsirer, or whatever his name is pronounced like. Mm -hmm. He is a developer and a computer scientist who is into academia. I guess he teaches at Cornell. And he wrote a research paper to demonstrate that Ethereum is much more decentralized than Bitcoin. As at the time of his writing, there were more active nodes running for Ethereum than for Bitcoin. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But at the same time, you have people like Jameson Lop, yeah, who tried to run and synchronize their full nodes for Ethereum, and they were not able even with very high-end systems. Yeah, if, if Jameson Lop can't do it, then something's wrong. <laughs> it should, and that's the thing. Like, I. Started running. I'm running two Bitcoin nodes right now, and one of them has Lightning uh, on top. And I'm not tech savvy. Like I'm learning, but like I'm not. I'm not a tech techie person. Like I can't code. Um, and it was relatively easy, you know. And I think if we want this decentralized future, like it has to remain easy. Otherwise, you know, you're gonna shut people out. Um, so like I'm like I'm very excited by like like the, the Casa Hollow node, for instance. Like things that are, are making running nodes much easier for people. So, did you actually use the guide by Pierre Rochard to run your own node? Or so I, no, so I, I use the, the guide by um, Staticus on GitHub, like the Raspy Bolt. So, I used a Raspberry Pi and an external hard drive um, <clears throat> for my, my first node. Um, but then, so what I did was I ran Bitcoin Core on, my, um, on a gaming PC and downloaded the blockchain there so that it would be a lot faster to transfer it over to the Raspberry Pi. And then I realized, oh, wait, now I have two Bitcoin nodes running. So on the other, on the, the, the PC, I, I did use Pierre Richard's node launcher, um, which honestly, you don't even need a guide. It's just, it's, you download it. And as long as you're running Bitcoin core, it's like the easiest thing in the entire world. Um, so I would recommend anybody who wants to, to I, I don't know, if you want to learn how to like use Linux and that kind of thing, like you know, build, build your node with a Raspberry Pi. It's a fun little cheap ex experiment, you know? But if you just want to get a node running and uh, you have a, a, an extra computer with, some, with uh, you know, 300, 400 gigabytes of uh, hard drive lying around, like run Bitcoin Core and use, use uh, Pierre's node launcher. It's, it's beyond easy. 
The reason why I asked you about Pierre is that I'm going to have him in the second season of the podcast. We have already scheduled the interview, but it's going to take two months. So I guess he has it planned so much ahead. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's one of my favorites in the space. When I found him and his podcast, I was like, oh, this is great. Because his podcast is like, um, it's a little too technical for me. Like I sometimes have to listen to it twice to understand what's happening. But uh, what will end up happening is like a week later, I'll be having a conversation with someone about, I don't know, lightning. And I'll just hear myself like, like actually kind of knowing what I'm talking about a little bit. Um, you know, and that's why I tell people it's important to like, to reach beyond your technical abilities because you learn a lot more than you think you do, even just by trying to pay attention. So shout out to Pierre. He's one of, one of the good ones. I used to follow Antonopoulos, Andreas. Mm-hmm. He had these videos which he was posting on both YouTube and Patreon. It was basically a Q&A that he was doing on a weekly basis, and every week he would answer questions by his patrons. Yeah. It was interesting to follow, but he was, I'm not sure if he is the most charismatic person to listen when he just sits on a chair and talks to a camera. He's very yeah. good with his public presentations, and it's interesting to watch in that form, but when he just talks to a camera, it gets boring fast. For sure. I mean, he's, I, I love Andreas, but he is like the epitome of like a crypto nerd. And so like for some people like me, like that's awesome. Like I, I, I geek out listening to him, but um, yeah, he's, he's a great spokesman for some people, but uh, I don't know knows that he's going to be like the mainstream spokesperson. Also, honestly, like anytime somebody's new to crypto, I like, I'm like, go get the internet of money and watch his talks and it's like the first thing i tell him to do it's like he will get you to understand why bitcoin is important um even if you don't understand what it is yeah i guess the internet of money is a bit overly positive yeah and this internet of money idea is a little bit overhyped we we decided at some point that maybe bitcoin can be the native currency of the internet but the idea of internet of money and internet of value was a big expression maybe in 2017 in that whole ICO fever. The idea that we have the internet of money and we are going to transact data which is worth something and we are going to monetize everything. Even though before that, the internet has been running with protocols like BitTorrent. Mm -hmm. And it was just by voluntary participation. It was never about monetizing or creating some kind of financial incentives. Peer-to-peer systems have existed for a long time to send data. You had FTP and all types of protocols. No, I, I understand that. And I, I know, like, I, I feel like I read somewhere that, like, when they were developing, like, the internet protocols, like, they wanted to, to embed um, a form of, you know, of value transfer, and they just didn't get to it never happened um but i don't know i i still think that like the internet of money is a good way to describe it and not not that everything needs to be monetized but like in just in terms of understanding what bitcoin is um and how it functions like i don't know for some reason i, re- I really vibe on that uh on that sort of definition um 
So like, I don't see it in exactly as the way you do. I think um, like, hmm. no, I have to think about that one. Let's not allow the awkward silence to take too much. But Vlad, I love awkward silences. Should we do another one just for fun? With awkward silence? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the best. <laughs> so we, we just do the introduction and then it's a contest of whoever speaks first loses the game. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a podcast where it's like 20 minutes of silence and see if anyone actually keeps listening. <laughs> But we we are allowed to do background noises as we walk around the room and do stuff. Oh, we can do that, yeah. And then we do a guessing game, like, what do you think Brecky has done at that exact timestamp? Was <laughs> it the wardrobe or was it the fan? Yeah, what, what am I doing now? Um, uh, yeah, you can't see me, so, you know, maybe I, you know, I'm sitting here in my underwear. Very possible. Nobody knows. Uh, I would rather not imagine that. <laughs> But I wanted to tell you something new. And yeah. I thought about this and I have been thinking about it since I started recording the podcast. I want the time of everybody to be repaid or in some way rewarded. As you are spending some time, which is valuable, you could be using this to make money. And I will do an individual QR code on the page of the podcast. And each guest gets a donation. And the donation gets split between me as a project runner and you as a guest. So it's 50-50. If I get any Bitcoin from this specific episode of the podcast, you're going to get half of it. If you don't want to get that half, it can be donated to charity. And uh, I, I'm quite wrecked at the moment, so sure, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we're all wrecked. But I was thinking of a way which is fair to monetize. I would feel bad to know that I make money off of people's ideas as they come to this podcast and say incredible stuff. And they, they basically summarize what they have been reading for days. They have been studying and developing. And when you come and you share your thoughts and information, I think there's value in that. And I think people should get paid for it. Uh, I, I, I won't say no to payment, but I will say that I, I enjoy doing this so much and having someone to talk to about Bitcoin, like, you know, as well as I do that like, yeah, I've got my, my, uh, my crypto friends, but uh, you know, I, I could talk about Bitcoin for days. And so I appreciate any opportunity to do so, especially in front of a microphone. So, sure. It's a convenient way and it's a very easy mean to send information and get it across to people who might be interested. I, I'm pretty certain and positive that this first season will not be this huge hit. I'm not uh, pomp. I'm uh, not... Not with that Gordon. attitude. <laughs> no, you have to be realistic. I'm, I'm a big nobody with 700 followers on Twitter or something. But it's about getting spreading the information, putting it out there. And maybe during the next bull run, we are going to have many more people who get into Bitcoin and they discover what it's all about. Or maybe they, they find out about your TV show in which you're the next Jimmy Kimmel, but for Bitcoin. And they are going to look for your ideas outside the show. And they're going to find this podcast and say, oh, look, this guy has a background in filmmaking and also international relations. 
you have something interesting to say beyond, you know, the mainstream television mumbo jumbo and where you have to smile to the guests and say <laughs> nice stuff and tell jokes. Yeah, I agree. No, it is, it is, it's going to be cool to look back on. I, I agree with that. Um, so, yeah. All right, Vlad. Well, what else can we do here? We could do some, what, what kind of fun stuff can we do? Should we, um, you, do you want to talk to Rick or Morty? That's possible. Or you should do the, some impersonations. Some impersonations? Like, like who? Who do you want to hear? <laughs> Try Rick. Uh, Rick. You know, I wonder how Rick feels about crypto. He obviously likes it, you know, but, uh, all right, give me a second. Hold on, Rick. What, what should Rick say? Morty, Morty, Morty. Uh, we're, we're here on this podcast, Morty. Oh, geez, Rick, you know, I, I hate going on podcasts. Morty, this is a good one, though. This is with, with Vlad. He's in Romania. I, you know, I, you know I, I invented Romania, Morty. What do you mean you invented Morty? Morty, I, 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 I'm Satoshi Nakamoto, all right? I, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so much better when I have a script in front of me. Than, uh, than doing the improv. But, uh, but that, that's very good. I actually, <laughs> when I heard the first episode, I thought you were very good at editing and uh, correcting pitches and maybe you got the tone right, but you get the voices pretty accurately as if you are, what's the name of the guy? Dan Harmon is the one who writes them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Justin uh, Roiland is the other guy. Justin Roiland, yeah. So I'm not really a big fan if I don't know the name of Justin Roiland at any point. That's uh, all right. As long as you're a blockchain and Morty fan, you can, it's good enough for me. <laughs> but do you really think that Rick and Morty can do something about blockchain at some point? That's a good idea. Or about Bitcoin? I mean, I would love if they did. I think they, they don't really do current events. You know, everything is kind of an oblique reference to something else. But they did do an episode, um, you know, about currency. Um, I did a, I have like an episode that's kind of like a, a Bitcoin maximalist episode. And in it, um, Rick takes down the, the one centralized galactic currency. Um, so I have to think that they, of course, they know about Bitcoin. And I would like to think that they are supporters of Bitcoin. Um, I don't know. You know, if they come out with, with, a, with a Bitcoin episode, I'm screwed. They're going to put me out of business. Yeah, they are a copyrighted show, and it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, I guess, is there any chance that you get people who have never heard of Rick and Morty to watch the original show? I think so. Like, there's a couple of people who reached out who've, who've like, you know, said, oh, I love Blockchain and Morty. Thank you so much. And, like, and said, like, yeah, like, I, they hadn't seen Rick and Morty, and then they went and found that. So... I like to think that I'm doing, it's a net positive for the Rick and Morty uh, universe, you know? Yeah, sure. I was just thinking that maybe that we didn't talk enough about international relations and we should oh, get back it. to the initial topic. I know you dislike it. Nobody really likes to speculate <laughs> about what the major powers of the world will do when they discover the virtues of Bitcoin and the fact that they cannot stop it. But this idea is something which I discussed with the other guests, and it's about this state of massive adoption, which some people call hyper-Bitcoinization, even though the yeah. terms are not very synonymous. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, do you believe that the states which will adopt Bitcoin will be 
the ones that are oppressive and the citizens actually needed in their lives to conduct a fair kind of business and engage in trades? Or do you think that the West, which is democratized and more liberal and has more liberties, will be the one to adopt it first just because they have a higher income by capita? Mm. It's an interesting question. I think we're already seeing the Western more advanced, not advanced, but Western more wealthy nations adopted, at least their citizens are. Um, and I think like their citizens have more freedom to do so. But I think that that's kind of the crazy part about Bitcoin is that because it's open source because of like just its very nature, it, it can be used in different ways. You know, we were talking about this, like, I think, I think China is going to adopt it, maybe not as a currency, but like, I think they've reached a point where they see the value in it. And especially if you look at like some of like the horrible, oppressive you know, actions they're taking, you know, like I saw that, that app they have now that shows you who's in debt as you walk around town. Like, I mean, that's, it's a double-edged sword blockchain, you know, the, the fact that you can track um, almost every transaction is if you're not using, a, you know, privacy measures. So I, I think, like, there's going to be a domino effect. There's going to be one or two countries that come out the gate, realize that, block, that um, Bitcoin is, that whoever adopts Bitcoin first is going to have a significant advantage over the other countries. Um, but at the same time, you're going to see these other countries like China or the U S let's say is like polar opposites. Like they're both, I think they're both going to adopt it and they're both going to say it's okay, but they're going to use it differently. You know, in the United States where like individual freedom is somewhat is, is, is more protected, let's say than China, like it's going to sort of serve the purpose that like the cypherpunks want it, you know, and places like Argentina or Venezuela, like places where, um, you know, there's massive uh, inflation, like it's going to serve the purposes that the, the cypherpunks wanted. But if you look at China, like, and like we were talking about this earlier, like China might use it as a form of surveillance and they might outlaw the use of like Wasabi wallet and coin mixers and things like that. And if that's the case, like, I think there's two possible, not two possible, there's many possible futures, but there's two futures that I think are distinctly possible. One in which, you know, Bitcoin unites the world, and then there's one in which Bitcoin gets mass adoption, but not exactly how people think it will. You know, like in the West, in, in places where there's freedom, it will do what we think it will. But then in places like China or Russia, like it'll get adopted because the state sees the value in it. But it's, it may not benefit to people in the way that we hope it will. But if that, does that make sense? It does to some extent, but I don't think China is going to be the one that opens this wave of national adoption. When I think of Bitcoin, it's a very American invention. The first recipient of a transaction was Hal Finney. Sure, sure. It, it was conceived as an ideology on the blockchain, not the blockchain, the cypherpunk mailing list. And they have been discussing about something like this for quite some time. You had people like Wei Dai even though his name is, doesn't quite sound American, he is American and he went mm -hmm. to the George Washington University and he created B-Money, which is a precursor of Bitcoin. And then mm -hmm. you have Nick Sabo, who is also American. So it's hard for me to think of Bitcoin in other terms other than being an American invention. 
Also, the ideas of freedom and privacy and autonomy are essential for the American democracy and have been in public discourse for over 200 years. Ever since you had your war independence war against Great Britain and you have won your independence and have become a federation under mm -hmm. this new republic, you had this idea of freedom and I think Thomas Jefferson was the founding father who was most interested in the idea of using gold as a currency as opposed to the British pound or inventing a new form of paper money. And I, I think also gold has been used until the early 20th century or maybe mid-20th century in the United States. So it was the baby boomers who could still use gold in day-to-day -day activities for trade. But we got to this point where they tried to make the United States dollar the reserve currency of the world. And that's where the American system has screwed the world when they sold dollars for gold and they told nation states that they can store their gold in the American safes so that they yeah. can have dollars and exchange at any time. And then they removed this whole pegging to gold. And that's when we yeah. got fiat. And that's why Bitcoin exists. So in a way, it's a return to a state of affairs that we used to know. Yeah, it's a return to sound money. Well, if we ever had real sound money. But yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful with you also. I just, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that, uh, I don't know, it might not play out the way we want, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know, these like scenarios are popping into my head. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the conspiracy theories about Bitcoin, that it might be made by the CIA? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, to me, it sounds... It, like it's, it, I don't think it's possible. I think there's enough proof that that like the people from the early days, like Alfini and Sabo and Andreessen, like it's hard. Like, could who knows? Could Satoshi have been from them? Maybe, but it doesn't seem like something the United that like. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past the United States government. The United States government, you know, stages coups in other countries for you know, but. That's such a it's such a crazy thing to think to think about to, to come up with, like. Yeah, but the the question that you have to ask is why was it not even, blocked at an early stage? I guess the CIA and the NSA can afford to hire the smartest people, and they could figure out that this Bitcoin invention was undermining what they thought was the international order in terms of finance. Well, yeah, but like, also like the NSA, like they're not the ones who they're not the central banks. They're not the Fed. Um, like that's not their job. And I don't think there's enough. Uh, I don't think government agencies talk to each other as much as we think they do. You know, I think there's a lot of information asymmetry between um, the, the organizations, the United States government, but they don't like to share and they're very competitive. You know, like if you look at like, you look at like what happened with 9-11, a lot of people say that like if the NSA and the FBI and the CIA had, had, had cooperated more than maybe we would have known it was coming. Um, 
so that kind of coordination, I think, is a little far-fetched. Um, that, like, the NSA is working on behalf of the Federal Reserve to protect the Federal Reserve. Like, I don't think it works that way. Um, but who knows? And also, like, the thing is, you look at Bitcoin, like, there are a lot of very, very smart people who have analyzed Bitcoin and looked at Bitcoin and think that Bitcoin, just by virtue of, of how it works, it is essentially unstoppable. You know, like, I, why, would, why would the NSA have created something that they couldn't later rein in and like, control? Um, you know, I don't think there's like a backdoor hiding in Bitcoin. Um, hmm. Oh, you know what they say, don't trust, verify. So unless we all learn cryptography and game theory and <laughs> yes. computer science to be able to actually check and realize if that's a good way of implementing the protocol, then we just have to rely on the opinions of experts. And you, you, if you keep on being a conspiracist, you can say that all of these people are part of the grand scheme or telling you that it's all fine. And at some point, something is going to happen. And there's no way to know anything in this regard. You can speculate on anything. You can say that this is a simulation of a real world and we are in the matrix or something. Also possible. Very possible. <laughs> or that we are some kind of alien experiment that they have started and they are analyzing us from afar sometimes. Yeah, or, or Satoshi's an alien. You never know. Exactly. But if he's an alien, I think he's a, he was a friendly, good-hearted alien. So. And very well-spoken, unlike that guy who pretends to be Satoshi and cannot even use a comma properly despite having a few PhDs. Right, exactly. Yeah, right, that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I said, yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I like puns, as I told you. That was a good one. I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, because you're native. And when, when it's your natural language and it's the first one that you learned, you don't really think about the words that you say. But in my mind, I hear two words which sound exactly the same, but have different meanings, and that clicks instantly. Yeah. I think, what, what was he trying to say, this one or that one? And that, that's why maybe I get puns easier. Yeah, I've noticed that. But uh, English is a second language. Puns do sometimes come a lot easier. Or like the humor translates, whereas other jokes don't translate. So, so Bitcoin, where so do you see it in five years? Five years? Um, not in terms of price. Forget about that. We don't care. It's yeah, all about care. adoption. I think we're going to see a steady growth of it. You know, it, 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 I think price is not important, but it does. Adoption does depend on these boom and bust cycles. So let's say what the happening is when 2020. Like, I think we're going to see a lot more adoption. I think merchants will probably slowly but surely continue to adopt it. Um, what I'm hopeful for is that people are going to start understanding it more. And I'm hopeful that a lot of the, the altcoins will consolidate and some will disappear and only the strongest ones will survive. Um, I don't not, you know, I have no way to prove that, but um, I think a lot of people are going to realize that like their favorite altcoin project doesn't have the, the stamina 
to continue and doesn't have the, 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 the right kind of dev team and, you know, maybe doesn't even have enough money to, to get them through um, this time period, you know, when you compare it to Bitcoin and how, and how much work is being done on it. So um, we'll see. Hopefully, maybe we'll even have privacy on Bitcoin. Sure, we have all these developments and it, they have been there since the early years with, I think it was Greg Maxwell who developed confidential transactions, mm-hmm. but yeah. that was not implemented on Bitcoin as it requires a soft fork <coughs> or it requires a soft fork if it's going to be optional, just mm-hmm. like Zcash. But if you want every transaction to be confidential from now on, then it requires a hard fork, which is an upgrade that's imposed on all nodes. And that's against the spirit of Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that, I think privacy should be optional. That way, like, even for like, you know, companies and governments using, let's say they adopt it, like, like certain, a lot of transactions should be viewable. Um, but again, we have to like kind of work against like the way Zcash works, you know, like if it's opt in, if it's opt in like Zcash, like then half of the, you kind of lose the privacy because no one's using it. Um, I think I heard the perfect metaphor for privacy mm. with post services. When you're sending letters or telegrams in the early days, they're not private. You required an envelope, which mm-hmm. was sealed to make sure that what you're transmitting to the other person was private and nobody would meddle with the message and you were able to get the message across. But when you're the only person doing this, there was a higher incentive to feel like you were hiding something and you were a bad actor, supposedly. Mm -hmm. But when everybody started using envelopes as a way to protect the integrity and the privacy of the message, then it became the norm and nobody was questioning why you are using the envelope. And I guess it's the same with privacy for cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin more specifically. When everybody uses it, then they're not going to ask any more questions. It's privacy by default. It's like the drapes that you have on your window. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing is like, I think I mentioned this earlier is that like, I wasn't always a privacy advocate, you know, and I think people in the same way that people don't understand what money is and what money should be, um, they don't understand privacy. A lot of people in the United States would say like, you know, oh, you know, you're not doing anything. If you're not doing anything wrong, then who cares if the government is watching you? But that's, that's a bad way of thinking about it, you know, because like you lose your privacy, you, you lose your freedom of speech. Um, and you may not need it now, but who knows? You know, in principle, you need to have it. So I totally agree with you. And Privacy is a fundamental human right. We can both agree that we cannot be free without privacy. Exactly. We have all read, to some extent, or watched the movie. I read the book twice, but 1984 is just brilliant Mm -hmm. and portrays this kind of society which, from top to bottom, is surveilled. And you have the history which is being rewritten every time. And you have the ideology which is fluent but at the same time, it's all about the big brother. If big brother says that you should do that, then it's going to be the new norm. And everybody is forced to forget and reprogram their memory to adapt to that new norm. Just like they change the language and they change 
their festivities and they change the, the way they engage in human relations. And now we have the technology to achieve that. We see it in China. I think I saw a news report about how they developed a very advanced AI camera, which was able to tell if the students sitting in their desks were paying attention to the teacher or if they were tired or bored and they were given grades according to how attentive they were perceived to be and how many times they raised their hand to answer. That's terrible. It's making me sad. They're saying that this is going to make them become more efficient at learning. Yeah, and it turns them into robots at the same time, maybe. I don't know. But I guess that's what the Chinese government needs. And if we think of Bitcoin, that's something that we can prevent. Ultimately, I think in relation to our governments, something like Bitcoin, which is used on real wallets and through transactions that are peer-to-peer and do not involve a trusted third party like an exchange, are a good way to negotiate and show that we have autonomy and we do not want to give up on our privacy. And if the governments want to get any type of information, they have to work with us. They can no longer work on the paradigm that anyone can be a criminal and collect data on on mass about everybody, even though there is no suspicion. Right now, I guess this conversation gets stored on some kind of cloud service. And if the NSA wants to listen to it, they will. They're going to have access to it. It's going to get stored as a backup in somebody's server, just in case somebody's interested to see what these, what should we call ourselves? (laughs) It's these crypto crazies over here. (laughs) What they are plotting and what they talk about. But we should say hello, hello to the NSA. Hello, NSA. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, we mean you no harm. Um, yeah. Okay. We're good. Back to Bitcoin. Hello, Mr. Agent. I hope that you're not watching me when I watch porn, but I cover my webcam anyway. <laughs> oh, I don't. I leave it open. I hope they're watching. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. I hope you don't run for president. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> Or for any kind of public office, they can blackmail you. Uh, they could try. I'd be like, you know, John McAfee can run for president. <laughs> yeah, but he is shameless and he has yeah, built he... his reputation around this kind of image where he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. You look at, we have Trump as our president, so I think anything, anything is possible. I think in terms of publicity, he was brilliant. He was able to make everybody talk about himself all the time. And he was able to defeat the entire candidates proposed by the Republican Party. At some point, I was... When was I in Paris? I think 2015. They were talking about... No, it was 2014 or whatever. It doesn't matter. They were talking about the idea that we're going to see an election where we have a Clinton and a Bush. That was... the. The analysis that resulted from the opinions of some qualified analysts said that it's going to be either Bush or Cruz. They were the ones who had the greatest chances. And when Trump announced that he would run, he was taken more as a joke. He also announced in 2000 or something that he was running for office. 
And to somebody like him, it seemed to be much more of an attempt to gain more brand recognition for his business. It was, that's the thing. It surprised a lot of people, but you know, you, you look back and you look at like the, the, the geopolitical climate climate and how unhappy like certain marginalized groups were. And, and it's not that surprising in retrospect, you know? And so it's, yeah, I mean, he, he is a brilliant marketer, you know, and he, he broke the paradigm. Um, I, even, I hate to make this analogy, but like almost like Bitcoin, like it, it breaks the, the, the idea of what we think a politician should be. And Bitcoin breaks the idea of what money should be. Uh, Trump is just obviously much worse than, <laughs> much worse than Bitcoin. Um, so, but also we, we have to take into consideration the fact that it may be a correlation, which isn't really a causality as we know. But we have seen the price of Bitcoin rise shortly after the election. And sure. it rose yeah. to a top and an all-time high one year after the election took place. And it's interesting to know that when Republicans come into office, they tend to leave the markets more open and they don't try to come up with regulations for everything. And now that we have the House of Representatives, which is dominated by the Democrats, it's more likely to see frameworks that try to regulate. And maybe that it's no coincidence that Gemini tries to be the first of the big cryptocurrency exchanges to openly advocate for regulations. Ugh, I don't like Gemini. It bothers me. I used to be a fan. Now it's like, I don't think they stand for, you know, they're not Bitcoiners anymore. Maybe. They're just out to make money. But what were you expecting? They are just a bunch of yeah. aristocrats coming from Harvard. It was Harvard, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. I don't know. I, I like to think that, how's the phrase go? Like, you don't change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you. So I was optimistic, but uh, whatever. They, they can do their exchange, make their money. We'll, we'll be over here doing our thing. And that's fine. That's the beauty of Bitcoin, you know? It's an opt-in program. I don't have to use Gemini if I don't want to. So. Sure. And it's a better idea to not buy your Bitcoins from Gemini or exactly. any other exchange. I know a lot of people, and I've heard this argument, they buy Bitcoin from Coinbase and they hold it in the Coinbase wallets. And they trust Coinbase so much because up to this point, it was never hacked. They believe that it has the most robust security out there. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough. On the one hand, I, you know, if I'm talking to someone who's new to crypto and is not ready for, for a hardware wallet or a paper wallet or a cold storage, you know, I, 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 will, I will say that Coinbase is relatively safe. But on the flip side, I also think their fees are, are absurd. Like, 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 screw them. Like, honestly, like, they're screwing their customers. They don't, like, they're making so much money. They don't need to charge those fees. Um, so I actually use the Cash App um, by Square. Um, I think it's, it's excellent for, for new people. Although I do transfer the Bitcoin out almost as soon as I get it. So I don't know. And the other thing about Coinbase is, like, Brian Armstrong can, can do whatever he wants, but like he, he is not a Bitcoiner. Like, but what Coinbase is turning into is basically a shitcoin casino. Um, 
And I don't think the space needs that. I think I heard that on another podcast somewhere and I was just like, you know what? That's, that's true. Um, yeah, you are allowed to use that. <laughs> I don't like the word shitcoin, but uh, in this case, I'll use it. it is a, Coinbase is a casino for shitcoiners. And, you know, it, they, they used to be good for the space. Like Coinbase is where I got my, 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 my first Bitcoins, you know. Um, but now I don't recommend it. Also, sometimes I recommend people to buy Litecoin or Dogecoin or something else to play with before getting into Bitcoin. So if they mess up, they don't ru ruin the supply of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. learn how wallet, how a wallet works, how they transact and all that kind of stuff. I also got introduced to the functionalities of wallets and how seed keys work by using a Litecoin wallet. And I think it was a good way to learn before getting to something more serious. Mm -hmm. Not that I, I know that some Litecoin people might listen to this and say, you know, Litecoin is a serious project and it has a plan <laughs> for adoption. But it's hard to actually see a value proposition as soon as Lightning takes off and it works seamlessly on Bitcoin. I agree. I, like when people say like, uh, oh, Bitcoin is gold and Litecoin is silver. And I'm just like, well, have you looked at the price of silver lately? Like it doesn't work that way. So much love to the Litecoin community if you're listening. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it'll be around for a while, but I don't know that it will. I, I agree. I don't see the value proposition. I'd be very interested to hear the arguments. You know, I'm not saying down with Litecoin. I'm just saying I, I need to know more for me to actually believe in it. Oh, I know the arguments. So <laughs> technically speaking, it uses the script mining algorithm, which is different from Bitcoin. And yeah. it's the leading coin on this specific mining algorithm. And if it, SHA-256 ever breaks, they can have a quick transition for Bitcoin. So they provide the infrastructure in a matter of minutes, if that's ever the case. And they are friendly to Bitcoin. Okay. Because of Charlie that's... Lee, who is a Bitcoiner. Yeah, yeah. And it's also about the fact that you have quicker validations on chain and lower fees. So if you are not yet familiarized with Lightning and it takes quite some time to get adopted by merchants, it's a bit like Bitcoin Cash in this sense that you have no, on chain transactions which get settled instantly. And also from a technical point of view, it has been a test net for Bitcoin. When they tried to implement SegWit, there was a lot of thought going on and saying that it's going to break Bitcoin if they put it on the main chain. Mm. And Charlie Lee took a few hours to negotiate with the miners and told them to run SegWit. And it took a few months for Bitcoin to actually get SegWit and adopt it. But he was able to prove that it's safe. And that really mattered. I think they're going to do it also with confidential transactions right now. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, yeah. Again, so you it's know, not the supreme. It's not meant to t take over Bitcoin, but it's interesting just because it's friendly. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. I like ultimately, like you know, I think you and I both think that like Bitcoin is going to like be the dominant cryptocurrency, but I don't necessarily see a single coin future. Not at least not for a very long time, um, if ever. You know, 
No, and I've heard this from um, Mr. McIntyre, who came to the podcast. He used to work for Ethereum Classic as a marketer. And he told me that in every business, you need an alternative. And he believes in the vision of Ethereum Classic because it's unchanged and it advocates for immutability and non-intervention and permissionlessness. That's a long word. (laughs) But he told me that in every business, there are three or four alternatives and you should not always rely on one which is supreme, you should always have a small alternative to go to just in case something goes wrong or you prefer the other one. I guess you need McDonald's and Burger King. Yeah, they push each other, so that's a good thing. Not necessarily competition, but another place to get the job done. Yeah, you know, you you, you get sick of Big Macs sometimes. You (laughs) You need a different kind of burger. A Whopper. Yeah. Now I'm hungry. I'm getting hungry. It's almost lunchtime. Well, it's past lunchtime. Jeez. But you're the brekkie. You have yeah. breakfast. Yeah, I got to go have some brekkie. That's true. I'm not allowed to eat anything else. Cereals. That's all. <laughs> Nine. I'm on that, uh, that keto diet. So very high fat, high, lots of vegetables, but uh, high fat diet. It's the, like the, the Bitcoin carnivore diet. Oh, yeah. I actually noticed that it's a big trend with Bitcoiners to attend these conferences and meetings where they enjoy barbecues and all types of steaks. Oh yeah. I think to, I might, I have a fire pit. I might, we might grill some steaks later, but I, I do really want, one of my, my dreams in, in crypto is I want to have a uh, safe over for a barbecue one day. Also Jimmy song. Yes, <laughs> that would be great. But I'm a vegetarian, so I, I would not be able to attend Ah, but we'll roast some delicious vegetables on on the other side of the fire for you. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Also, (laughs) I spoke to Jimmy Song and he told me that he has been vegetarian for about 20 years or something. Oh, really? Yeah, when he was in university and later on. Hmm. I think he looks younger than he is. Could be, yeah. It's all the vegetables. Also, have you seen all those videos by Peter that they're putting out? You know, Uh-oh. PETA is a, is an organization that like, wants everyone to be vegan. So they've been making all these, oh, like... PETA. PETA. Uh, I understand PETA, yeah. Peter. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, these videos, they're like... Some of them are so weird that, like, I, I, they make me not want to eat vegetables. That's how bad they are. Like, there's this, this one video with, like, these zucchinis and, like, these... Uh, it was a very, very phallic video, so... Oh yeah, I saw that one, but there's also another about vegetarians, no, vegans, they promote veganism, not vegetarianism, that vegans are better in bed. Yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) There is no way for me to find out anyway. (laughs) Yeah, if anybody wants to help me test it, ladies, I'm I'm, I'm open to the idea. Anyway. Um. (laughs) So how does that work? I'm the first one and you're the second one and I'm the vegetarian, you're not. And we see which one lasts longer. That's not a good metric. No, no. I think you have to test it against yourself. So like you like find some partners and then go like carnivore for like a month, see how it goes. And then you go vegan for a month and see how it goes. Um, I think you could, you could have be objective. There's a way to do that. Keep a notebook, you know, rate it from one to 10 and, uh, 
Yeah. You just gave me a good idea for a Tinder status. <laughs> yeah, what's that? I like you put a message which says, I'm doing this anti-PETA experiment and I want to be a vegan for a month and then a carnivore for a month. And I want you to help me prove that I can last in bed just as long if I eat meat. <laughs> I, think, I think you should do that and, uh, and tell everyone how it goes. That'd be a great, uh, a great article to write. Yeah, just not for any publication that I write for. <laughs> hey, you can go by like the, uh, by the name, uh, you'll be Vladzi Impala. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or I can pay for everything with Bitcoin. Yeah. But I don't have so much Bitcoin. Or uh, I don't have any Bitcoin. Right. Well, neither of us have Bitcoin. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like thin air, man. <laughs> There's nothing out there. You look at me, my pockets are empty. I don't have any kind of currency. <laughs> but I was just thinking, if you ban Bitcoin, yes. you're basically banning code. Right. And so you create a precedent for other types of codes to be banned in the future. It's true. And I know in the United States, I forget the, the case, but they, they determined that code was free speech, which I thought was really big. Um, so uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, who, who knows? You know, I don't think anyone's going to ban Bitcoin at this point. I think we've actually reached the point where uh, it just it won't happen. I don't think it's possible. Possible, yes, but likely, no, very unlikely. But the governments will constantly say that it's a bad idea and you should not put your money in it and it's not safe. And they will point out to the volatility of the price and they will have all these ideas which Noriel Rubini is presenting right now. Oh, I don't want to talk about Noriel. I hate that man so much. Did it's he block bullshit. you? This, this, it's bullshit. This Bitcoin is bullshit. Oh, uh, he did block me finally. Um, after, after my South Park video, I think, um, he didn't the first time I trolled him, but, uh, no, yeah, I have to follow him from an, an alt account to see what he's saying. We should have a bot which retweets everything that he says. And I can't wait to see that debate be, between him <laughs> and Vitalik. Oh, that'd be great. There's actually an account. I, f I don't know if I follow him, like um, a fake Nuria Rubini account that uh, is just like, a, you know, like a, an avatar in crypto Twitter. And it's always like making fun of everything he does. Like he'll, he'll, you should look it up. It's really funny. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, but I haven't followed it just because I thought it was silly. Yeah. I, same here. I, I don't follow it, but sometimes it pops up in the feed. I enjoy it. I follow the Craig Wright one, but not the Noriel Rubini one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Says a lot about the kind of entertainment that I consume. <laughs> don't, don't judge yourself on the entertainment. It's never smart. Just enjoy what you enjoy. Just like Rick and Morty, right? You yeah, should watch exactly. TV without worrying about wasting your existence on this planet and doing something futile. <laughs> Come on, Summer, you know, like, let's just watch TV. Let's, you know, uh, uh, we could die tomorrow and, and the universe could explode. So, you know, let's let just, let just watch TV. I actually, is that, I forget the exact wording, but that part was like, it's one of the, like, the deepest, very deepest moments in Rick and Morty. Um, Nobody exists on purpose. Everybody yeah. is going to die. That's it. That's it. 
And yeah. like when I heard that, it's just like, it, it's funny. You look at Rick and Morty and you think it's like a very depressing show. And in some ways it can be, but it's very, very optimistic. You know, it, it, the philosophy of Rick and Morty is very deep. And um, I'll send this to you also. There's a, a video that's like goes into the philosophy of Rick and Morty. And you watch it and like your, your passion for the world and your, at least for me, my optimism is, is renewed every time I see this video and like think about this. So. Oh, I get that from Bojack Horseman, but never mind. No, I know exactly what you mean, though. It's like you see something so negative and like you, if you read between the lines, um, you see that the message is positive, even if what you're watching is negative. It seems counterintuitive, but. No, I think Rick is the perfect anarchist who may be a Bitcoiner if he was a real person. <laughs> he would be. He, he's, he's Satoshi. He made Bitcoin and then he walked away. He's if, the if smartest you person it, in the galaxy. I don't have time to, to explain it to you. <laughs> I actually read a quote by... No, it wasn't a quote, but a tweet by... Who was it? Saifuddin? Peter yeah. Will? It doesn't matter. He said that that's the worst quote. No, it was Jameson Lobb who said that. That's the worst quote by Satoshi and we should stop using it because it proves that we are being ignorant as a community and cannot support our advocacy with proper arguments. And it's better to just direct people to articles and informative it's stuff about Bitcoin instead of just saying, oh, if you don't believe in it, I'm not going to waste my time. It's a very, it's used out of context, you know, um, I agree. I do like it, though. It's kind of like a, that one like snarky moment when Satoshi's just like <laughs> a little fed up. And when I think everyone gets that way sometimes. So. I think we have been running for a long time and you're hungry. And I don't want to <laughs> cut this short. I actually enjoy talking to you. It's a nice exchange. We have a nice flow. I think so. We definitely need to do this again. Definitely soon. Season two. Here we come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we are going to need new topics to make sure that we don't just ramble and say the same stuff. Well, I think we'll find something new to talk about. I'm sure there will be at least one or two new developments in the Bitcoin world in the next few months. No, and this probably is the a Bitcoin lot takeover, so <laughs> we are going to get closer to the takeover. And one last question which I have for you before we close this. How about you tell me what it's like to live in Los Angeles and use Bitcoin? Can you actually buy stuff with Bitcoin? Can you rent a house or can you pay your bill at a restaurant? Uh, short answer, no. <laughs> um, Los Angeles is a, like a beautiful place to live. It's all, always sunny and, you know. Um, and also the, the crypto community out here is very big. Um, not, the, not the Bitcoin community, unfortunately. At least I haven't found it yet. Um, there's a lot of, um, like EOS is very big out here and Ethereum is very big. And there's a lot of conferences. So I really enjoy it um, to be kind of in the heart of like a, a lot of what's going on. Um, but no, like merchant adoption is, is quite low. And also, not that I have any Bitcoin, but I wouldn't spend it right now. <laughs> of course, it's because, a bad idea. I, yeah. I think this is not financial advice, but this might be the bottom. I, I'm with you. I, like, I think... Who knows? Like going lower is of course possible, but like we've been going sideways for so long that you know, if I were to consider buying more Bitcoin, 
I hypothetically might start doing it. <laughs> but it it was the exact same in July and August and September. We when thought we, <laughs> we had a stable coin with Bitcoin. It was six thousand five hundred. Yeah. For quite some time, it wasn't moving. So we said, okay, from this point point on, it's going to go up. And we were so wrong. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, though, I've, I used to think about it in a different way. And the way I, basically, I'm constantly dollar cost averaging in. You know, if the price dips, I'll buy like $50 worth of Bitcoin. Um, and I've stopped looking at the price unless it's, you know, to see if it's gone lower. Um, I don't even look at the price of, of all the like altcoin bags that I'm stuck with. Like, I just don't care anymore. Like, I believe in Bitcoin so thoroughly and I believe in the futures that we're going to have that, you know, to me, it's just about, it's about accumulating as much as I, as I possibly can. So, you know, I know that long-term the prices, I truly believe it's going to go parabolic. It's going to be beyond what anyone would, beyond what most people imagine, you know? Um, so to me, if I buy a little bit today and it goes down tomorrow by a hundred dollars, like, I don't care. Like, even if it, even if I bought some today and it dropped a thousand dollars tomorrow, um, long-term I'm still happy. Long-term I still believe in what I'm doing. So, um, we'll see what happens, but, uh, long-term bullish. Definitely. I also don't like talking too much about price. I feel like people who do it all the time are the lowest common denominator of Mm -hmm. having any sort of educated discussion in the space. And I know that there are people like Tone Vase who discuss nothing but the price and do technical analysis and try to bring some sense into it by using the knowledge that he acquired while working on Wall Street. But I'm still agnostic in terms to how effective technical analysis is. So you can just predict that it can go that low until it finds a support zone and stuff like that. But yeah, there are so many people who are just scammers and they build a huge following just by getting lucky at predicting. Exactly. Or those people who like will predict things all the time and then when they're right, they'll delete all the old predictions that were wrong and just keep the ones that were right. <laughs> You're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, that's not, that's bullshit. So, yeah, I, guess I don't know. If we ever get regulations, these people are going to get into trouble. Well, is that, if you can track down the uh, cartoon avatar, that's true. That's easy. You just message Twitter and they're going to give you the IP address. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they don't run VPNs all the time. No, not enough. They're definitely not using Tor behind the, the avatars. So. Anyway, really nice talking to you. This was an entertaining podcast which covered all sorts of topics from international relations to entertainment in relation to this new Bitcoin economy and all the way to random topics which popped in our heads. <laughs> so I hope this was enjoyable to listen to. And Well, I don't know about that, but it was an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast. So uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to, to at least a couple of people. At least a couple. So at our least mothers... <laughs> yes definitely i'll make sure she listens <laughs> mine doesn't know english very well but i can make her listen and she'll do it because that's how much she loves me <laughs> uh my mother loves me but I, she still hasn't bought bitcoin so uh 
Ma, if you're listening, uh, maybe it's time you buy a little Bitcoin, huh? How about she buys you any Bitcoin because you don't have any? That's true. That's true. I don't have any. So uh, my birthday is coming up. I won't say when because I don't want to dox myself, but uh, buy me Bitcoin. Everyone buy me Bitcoin for my birthday. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, my friend. All right. Well, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure. Same. <laughs> yeah, but talk to you soon, sir. Goodbye.